Nehemiah chapter 5. If you'll turn there. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah. If you're visiting with us, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we've gone as far as verse 14. We're going to pick it up here of Nehemiah chapter 5. I've gotten so much feedback on how many of you have said that this is a tremendous blessing. This this study is for all of us in helping us in the roles that God has called us to to be as men and women and husbands and wives leaders, uh, leaders in ministry, uh, because we're all called to be a light and to lead in some way. And we're going to talk about that because we're going to see Nehemiah, the godly leadership and qualities that were in him in these few verses that we're going to read. Let's pick it up at chapter 5, verse 14, that we read, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provision. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Verse 16, indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not have to buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers beside those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. Then we finished the chapter by reading, Remember me, my God. For good, according to all that I have done for this people. Let's pray. Father, we come as we open up your word once again. And I do pray that you would just help us to be teachable. That we would, right now, remember to turn ringers off phones. That we would be ones that we would honor your word. This is something for us here in this text. To apply in our lives. So, Lord, just teach us. Help our hearts to be soft, like fertile soil, to receive the seed of the word, that it may take root there and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And as I mentioned, over the last several weeks, we've looked at this godly leader, Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, how he would lead the people as he came to Jerusalem to build the wall around Jerusalem. And we have seen some of the godly qualities and character of Nehemiah that made him the leader that would be used in a wonderful and incredible way by the Lord at this time. God's work, as we have mentioned and as we have read, is called a good work in Scripture. Those who desire to be an overseer, we know that it is described to us, as Paul wrote to Timothy, as a good work. Matter of fact, Nehemiah, he's encouraging the people to do the work of rebuilding the wall, it is called a great work. And for a good work, a great work to be done for the Lord... He will call for godly leaders to do that good work. In these verses that we just read, I believe we see godly characteristics of Nehemiah that can very, very easily be overlooked in these few verses 
that, that we just read, but they're very important to us and important considerations. Dads, as you lead in your home, as you lead your wife. Parents, as you lead your, your children. As you lead in business, as you lead in perhaps the community, as you lead in ministry, uh, you might be thinking, well, I'm not married or I'm single or uh, maybe you're thinking I just go to school, I got a job, whatever it may be. You are going to be called to lead spiritually somehow and in some way because you may be the only Christian that is in your workplace. You may be the only Christian that is in your class. You may be the only Christian that is in your neighborhood or in your family. And you and I are called to be that example to others of godly character and to be a light. And we will be given responsibilities in that, in the roles that he's given to us as men and women, as husbands and wives, as we lead in different areas of life in the workplace, in our families. It's important for us to look at these things and to learn from the Lord. And I want to remind you and me, this is very, very important, that as we are being called to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be in the roles that he's given to us according to his word, that our ultimate example is Jesus Christ. It's not the world. We live in a culture and we live in a world where we can get so enamored with those who have fame, those who have riches, those who have power, those who are very popular. And we can look to them and be enamored with them. And what is given to us in scripture is the ultimate example, Jesus Christ. And we also have godly examples that are given to us, such as Moses and Joshua and Daniel, Joseph in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul that we see in the New Testament, and this man, Nehemiah, that we can learn from and in a way that it will benefit us and it is an example to us. Even as we look at the women of Scripture, Hannah, as we look at Ruth, as we look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene in the New Testament, all used of God because they had godly qualities and were devoted to the Lord. So we can look at their lives and we can benefit uh, from it and we can see the godly characteristics that they displayed that please the Lord so that it can help us be a benefit to others. When you read the Gospels, the disciples would argue, as you know, that who is the greatest in the kingdom? It was James and John, those two brothers, fishermen, that their mother came to Jesus and asked, can my son sit at your right and on your left in the kingdom? And they were looking for positions of greatness in the kingdom. Can they be number one and number two in your kingdom? And they would argue that, that who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom clear up until the time of the crucifixion of Jesus. Because in that upper room, that last night that they are with him, hours before he would go to the cross, Luke tells us that there in his gospel that they came into that upper room, the disciples, and they're arguing who's the greatest. And we know that in that upper room that Jesus would wash the feet of the disciples. And I imagine as those disciples come in, they don't fully understand what's going on. They're still thinking that the Lord's going to usher in his kingdom. Uh, and they come in arguing who's going to be the greatest. And they see the towels that are folded, the basins uh, that are going to be used to wash their feet, the pitchers of water. They're probably thinking, well, who's going to be the one that has to wash the feet? 
it must be John. He's the youngest. Or it must be Peter. He's the one that's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Or it's one of the other disciples. And Jesus, knowing that they were arguing about this, you know the account how he would gird himself with the towel and he washed the feet of the disciples. Even though knowing that in a few hours that he would be taking on the cup of suffering and death. He would say to them, I've done this as an example to you. That you're to wash feet if you want to be great in the kingdom. He said, you're not to lead like the Gentiles that want to lord over others. You serve others. You take the place of a servant. I think about Paul the apostle, the, the great apostle, and the missionary journeys, and wrote much of the New Testament. When he went to Corinth, the church really grew. He was there for a year and a half, which was a long time for Paul to stay in the city. And he would leave Corinth, and he would write letters to them. And in that second letter they have recorded, that he shares in a way that he doesn't do in the other epistles. He gets very personal. He just pours out his heart to the church. And see what had happened when Paul left Corinth. These other guys came behind Paul in his ministry. They were called most eminent apostles. They promoted themselves. They would rule over the people with the heavy hand. They would boast about themselves. They would talk about how they had great oratory skills. And don't listen to Paul. His speech is contemptible. He's wearing those sweat you know, clothes to make tents and, and all of this. And they were ruling over the people with a heavy hand. And Paul's pouring out his heart to them. And in chapter 11 of the epistle, he writes, For these guys, you put up with them. You put up with it if one brings you into bondage. You put up with it if one devours you. You put up with these guys that they take from you. They exalt themselves. Even if they strike you in the face. Paul says they're false apostles. They're ministers of Satan. And as he ministers to them, he says, we didn't come to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. You have 10,000 teachers, but not many fathers. That the more that I love you guys, the less I'm loved by you. And we didn't come to you preaching ourselves but Christ Jesus our Lord, and as for we ourselves to be your bondservants for Christ Jesus. John, that early man at the end of his life, he would write the epistle of Third John, only 14 verses. And he, in those verses, he mentions a man by the name of Diotrephus. He loves to have preeminence among you. He speaks malicious words. He doesn't receive us. He's kicking people out of the church, and he's imitating what is evil. So Nehemiah here, as we have seen, is a great example of spiritual leadership. And what godly leadership qualities that we see here that we just read, we can take note of and consider it and pray through. That as we have read here, number one, you can jot down or highlight it, that Nehemiah put serving the people ahead of receiving benefit for himself. He served the people ahead of receiving benefit for himself. We see in our own nation, in our nation's capital, with our leaders, even in our states, in our community, those who have been elected officials that are called to serve the people. This is my opinion. And I know not all of them are that way. But they say they're servants of the people, but oftentimes they want to real, really rule over the people. They want more power. 
they want to focus on how their position benefits them. Again, it's not just all of them. And it's not just in politics. It can be in any area of life. If you have a business or you're a leader of some sort in the community, in your place of work, in the home. We live in a world and in a culture where we are told to promote self. You are to seek personal interest above everything else. And it's becoming to where there's very little concern for people. Now, I want to make it clear, there's nothing wrong with being promoted. I'm thankful for those few godly leaders that we have that are elected officials. That we have godly leadership in different places and all areas of life. God puts them there. And he puts you where you need to be to be a light to others. There's nothing wrong in being in a place of influence. You see, Joseph, he was the prime minister of Egypt. Daniel was the leader in Babylon. He was the one that was also the right-hand man of Darius and the Medes and the Persians. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, a very prestigious and important position. But they were ones that were willing to sacrifice personal gain to please God in how they lived. And that included the positions that they were in. And they served others, and they served others for the spiritual good of others. Nehemiah and his assistants, as we read here in these verses, did not tax the people. He didn't take what he could have. He didn't take advantage of their position to burden the people. And it saddens me when we see Christians that claim to be Christians or those who are even ministers of the gospel taking advantage of people vulnerability and they want to rule over people with a heavy hand. Ministers that tell others that, hey, you need to give to me a seed faith and you'll receive a hundredfold in God's blessing. Uh, you can name that boat and claim that house or whatever. And I have seen those who have been ripped off by the false prosperity gospel. Listen, every good gift comes from above. It is not a sin to be wealthy. It is not a sin to desire to do well in your business and to move forward in, in the place of work that you do. But this prosperity gospel has fooled so many people. And the only ones that are getting rich are those who are receiving the money. I remember coming back from Peru. I was watching, you know, the little TV on the seat in front of you um, that you can watch different channels. I was watching a Christian channel. And there was a faith teacher that was there. And he said, even if you're, you know, in, in serious debt on your credit card, send, you know, money through your credit card. You know, just send it to us. And... And just the manipulation that was going on. Listen, God wants us to give. And he blesses. And he provides. But those who are saying that you need to do this in order for God to bless you and get a hundredfold. And they're living in the multi-million dollar mansions and expensive clothing and watches. And their own planes to fly in. Taking advantage of those who just are buying into this false doctrine and even saying that you need to send a seed faith if you want healing. You have to pay for your healing? It's a ripoff. So if you have enough faith, send me the money. Blessing and healing will come. And they devour widows' homes because there is plenty of documentation where people have given their retirements and widows give their money and they go bankrupt. 
and they get rich. And they've been scammed. And people have been burdened by it. Again, Paul the Apostle, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, he said, I didn't take from you guys. He said, I didn't take from you like the most eminent apostles. He made tents. He, he didn't come peddling the word of God, he said. Nehemiah says in verse 14 that neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provision, even though they could have. They had the right to, but knew that it would burden the people. Verse 18, we did not demand the governor's provision because the bondage was heavy on the people. So they served the people over just benefiting themselves. Second of all, verses 15 and 19. Nehemiah would serve out of the fear of the Lord. In other words, he knew that in not burdening the people, that it would please the Lord. Actually, in verse 19, as we read here, this is the fourth of Nehemiah's prayers. Very short, but a wonderful expression to God of his desire to please God. Now, I've made reference to Colossians chapter 3 before, that we are to do all things as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord. Living in the fear of God is not mentioned a lot in church today, and there can be some unhealthy uh, you know, definitions given or you know, those who think that the fear of the Lord uh, is being terrified of God. That he's a mean old man, you know, wanting to, to get you and judge you if you sin or mess up. And there are some people that go through their Christian lives that they're still at war with the Father. You've come to Jesus Christ. You're not at war with him. You have peace with God. Walk in that peace so you can have the peace of God. No longer at enmity with God. So we know that the Lord desires for us to, to understand of his love for him, his compassion when we do sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. To know this, that he wants you to do well in your walk with him, to enjoy him, to draw close to him, because you have the spirit of adoption where you can cry out, Abba, Father. So the fear of God is... That, Lord, you are great and you are awesome, even as Nehemiah has reminded the people. And I want to please you in everything that I do, every day, every area of my life. We do fall short of that. But he's so forgiving, he's so good to say, Lord, I want to move forward in godliness. I want to please you in my life, in word, and conduct, and behavior, in the decisions that I make. And it's out of a reverence for the Lord, the fear of the Lord. It's a good thing. Thirdly, what godly leadership did Nehemiah and others show? Verse 16, let's read it again. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work. They were doing the work of the Lord in rebuilding the wall. They were not there just to give advice, you know, and then uh, they left, or this is what I think that you should do, and then absent. They weren't missing. The, 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 the people weren't wondering, where are the leaders? Where's Nehemiah? But they were ones that start, stood with the workers in building the wall. Nehemiah was there. We have seen that. They were leading the people in the process. Jesus said, I didn't come 
to be served, but be the servant of all. We like to use that term servant, but oftentimes we really don't know what it means to be a servant, to be a good servant. To be a good servant, you have to be with those and available to those that you're ministering to. And again, that's what I tell the the younger guys that particularly want to be in pastoral ministry. That a good shepherd is going to be with the sheep. To be here. The Lord has put on my heart to be here. To make this a priority. That I'm not gone all the time. I get asked to guest speak a lot. And I once in a while will do that. But my priority is to be with you guys consistently here at Calvary Chapel. Not be gone all the time. And those of you who have been here through the years, you know that I don't miss that much. I tell the guys, one of the problems, we work the same hours, you know, same day. And I'm willing, again, as the Lord leads, to go and guest speak once in a while. But here's the thing. I am called to Calvary Chapel Greeley, and I want to be here consistently. I want to be here during the week. I want to be with the sheep. And there are times where I'm going to be gone, where the staff's going to be gone, just as you're going to be gone. But to be there consistently, to be there to serve the people. Moses was a great leader. He was with the people. He had, I think, the most difficult ministry. Two million people that were not nice, that murmured and complained, wanted to stone him, but he was with them for 40 years. I think about the Apostle Paul. When you study his life and ministry, he established the churches. He, he discipled. He had such an incredible ministry because there are those that he would take under his wings, such as Timothy and Titus and Silas, uh, the others that are, their names are mentioned in the epistles in the book of Acts. One of the reasons I also love Second Timothy, because Paul here, as he says, Timothy, my departure is at hand. He's passing the, the uh, you know, the baton of, of ministry on to, to Timothy. He has spent so much time. Timothy, you know my manner of life. You know my doctrine. You know my persecutions. I've been an example to you in that. The Lord has placed on my heart that as I'm in the 29th year here of when we started the church, to be here, to pour into the younger guys. Because as I said, I'm not going to last forever. The Lord tarries. I want to be here to be not just leaving a godly legacy of what ministry is in the heart of ministry, to be a godly example to them. And you've heard me say this before, but your best ability is your availability and your dependability. Because I've talked to those who wanted to be involved in ministry, but they're not dependable. They're not there. They're always an excuse or they quit very easily. So make yourself available to the people that you have opportunity to minister to. And that's what Nehemiah did. He was committed to that calling. Now, you might be here thinking, well, that's all fine and dandy for you and for, you know, uh, those on staff here, those in ministry and full-time ministry. But I'm not in ministry. You are in ministry. You are in ministry. And listen, men. If you want to be effective in your ministry to your wife and to your kids, to your grandkids, then you have to be there. We have to be there. We have to be available. And I know that you work hard. 
You work very, very hard in providing for your family, and it's not easy. But when you come home and when we come home from a long day, we can't just come home and zone out and be so involved in our hobbies and activities and zoning out on the computer and on our phones and watching TV that we're there, but we're not really there. We all need time to de-stress, right, and debrief. We need those times. There's times where we're going to be gone. There are things that I like to do, but seek the Lord. Am I being available to minister to my spouse and to my wife, to my grandkids, to my family? Am I being there to minister to others that you've given to me the opportunity to do? And I'll tell you what will bless your family and your spouse, guys. That you make it a priority to serve them. And to cherish them. And to listen to them. I remember one time uh, when the kids, you know, raising four kids, when the kids were small and I wanted to do something. I was probably I was going to go out and, you know, take a fishing trip or something. Looking forward to it. And something came up where I couldn't do it. Of course, I was all grumping and complaining and doing it to Sue. And I said, I never get to do what I want to do. I know that's never come out of your mouth, guys. (laughs) She said, neither do I. (laughs) And we kind of looked at each other and we kind of chuckled. And that's just the season that we're in. I remember one time the Lord really spoke to me. I went to Dairy Queen. And there was family there. And I'm not saying this to, to be critical of this family because it speaks to me, probably to a lot of us. And there's parents there that were with their two younger kids. And to take them out to, you know, ice cream. And the parents are doing this. Finally, one of the kids said, you don't pay any attention to us. You're always on your phone. And my kids have called me out on that a few times. Dad, you're not listening. You're on your phone. The book of Joshua, remember a couple weeks ago? Be strong of good courage. And then the people that he was going to minister to came to him and said, we ask one thing, you be strong of good courage. We can't just be doing our own thing, men. We can't be MIA. God has called us to an awesome responsibility and role. And I believe that's being missed in the church today. Not being told or encouraged or taught what our roles are as men, as husbands, as leaders. We're told that we shouldn't lead. You're called to lead in your home and with your family and with your kids. Because our kids need us. Our spouse needs us. Remember chapter 4. Fight for your spouse, for your kids, for your brethren. Fight the good fight of the Spirit. You prioritize being the priest of your home. And we cannot have the mindset of, well, I don't have time. I'll let the youth pastor do it. Or the Sunday school teacher minister to them. I'll just let mom do it. Uh, she'll do it. She'll be there. Of course, she's going to play a big role in raising her kids in the ways of the Lord. 
And I know that there are some that are here that you're the only believer. Your spouse is not a believer. We're going to come and we're going to help you and we're going to come alongside to serve you and encourage you and pray for your spouse. But you men that are here, Paul is addressing the fathers in Ephesians 6, says, Fathers, you raise your children in training and admonition of the Lord. And it is hard today to be praying for them and to make a stand. To say, as for me and my house, like Joshua did, we are going to serve the Lord. And then number four, quickly, finally. I want to mention when it comes to spiritual godly leadership, I see in this chapter, is remember that the chapter began with a problem. It was a problem within. Remember in the chapter began, if you were with us last week, uh, there was those who were taking advantage of the difficult circumstances people were were facing, and it brought them into bondage. There was uh, an outcry from the brethren within. Nehemiah confronted the problem, and he said, what you're doing is not good. I know that you know this. But it is important that we who lead in our homes and in ministry and in life, in your business, whatever it might be, when there is a problem, and there will be a problem, we need to not just sweep it under the rug, but very godly and courageously in godly wisdom, we are to confront the problem. And you may be thinking, of course we're going to do that. But I have talked to many of leaders in ministry. I've talked to parents or others that there is a problem. It might be in the family or things that are going on that you know are not good, and they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to bring correction. They don't want to do as Nehemiah did. This is not good. And give them the word of God why it's not. And say that I'm concerned for you. And, and that this needs to stop. Or you need to repent. Or bring correction. Or whatever it might be. And it takes discernment. It takes wisdom and prayer. But I do know this. And so do you. That every problem that is ignored will only get worse. And it will bear its rotten fruit. It might be a problem with you that the Lord is dealing with you. Don't ignore it. But the Lord brings conviction to draw us to him, that we might benefit from it. That he desires for us to step forward and to be able to to address that problem that may be in your family or whatever place that you are. And you deal with those, you deal with it out of love and, as I said, wisdom and discernment. And let the Lord work and trust in him. You look to God. You look to him on what is right and doing what is right. As we have challenges, all of us, as a difficult world out there, all the time. They come upon us numerous times. Every week, every month, every year. Look to the Lord. Help him. Let him help you to deal with with that which you need to. So, Father, we thank you so much. And we thank you for these lessons that are given to us here and for this morning. And Because this is for us. This is for all of us. The, the lesson doesn't end here. Right now and as we leave this place, taking these things to the Lord. So I do pray that you would help us to be a light to others, 
to lead others that are around us, to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We need your help, Lord. We're all weak and we fail. And we, we get tossed to and fro. We get stressed. We get all these things that, that come up because I can feel it too. But that's why we need you more than ever to look to you and to rely on you for your strength, for your guidance, for your wisdom. Lord, you've called us to be strong of good courage, and there are people that are in our lives that are calling us to do that. And we can't do it without you. We need your help. So we humbly come and ask for that right now. And I know it's different for everybody. Lord knows your heart. And he doesn't break a bruised reed. And he doesn't quench a smoking flax. And maybe you're here this morning. I just sense that, that some are. That you're bruised. You're just kind of smoldering spiritually and the Lord is not here to just to stomp on you and he's not here to, to throw a bucket of water on that smoking flax but to cup it and to fan it back to build you up because he loves you and he wants what's best for you help you and where he's called you to be and the role he's given to you. Lord, it's you looking to you, the ultimate example, Jesus Christ for us. And to serve the people around us. Father, I want to pray for anybody who's here or listening that you've never made a commitment to Christ. You can't do any of this first until you come to him for salvation. He is your salvation. He went to a cross and died for your sins. It is humbly coming and recognizing your need to be forgiven because you are a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. That's why he went to the cross. The Bible says to repent, turn to Jesus, call out to him. He loves you. And the invitation is for you to come. Today is the day of salvation. To recognize your need for him, for forgiveness, for salvation and reconciliation with the Father. And you can do that right now. Sincerely in your heart praying, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess that I am. Forgive me of my sins. You made atonement for my sins. I believe that. You rose from the grave and you are the Son of God. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. So help me in this new beginning to know you and walk with you, to be the man or woman you called me to be, where you've placed me, knowing that I'm a new creature in Christ. Lord, I thank you for forgiveness and making me alive. In Jesus' name, for all of us, Lord, we go out of this place thanking you that we've been here and for your word given to us. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you please stand?
If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you, encourage you any way that we can. The Lord wants to do so much in your life. Let him do it. Let him have his way, because his way is the best. Amen. Close this loop.